When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to a great and interesting edition of uh, TFL Talk. And with me today is my man Nathan. Thanks Howdy for joining us. Hope you guys are having a great week. Yeah, yeah, we're not. Uh, we've had quite the week, actually. Uh, if you've been watching some of our videos, you know that I had a little issue with the Hummer. And we'll talk about that first. Uh, but what's this podcast about mainly, Nathan? So this podcast, if, you, if you're not watching, there's a uh, Mustang 2 on the screen here. And there's a very good reason for that. Uh, essentially, we are talking about vehicles that you guys love, but the worst versions of some of these vehicles you guys love. And we obviously want you to, to chime in and let us know whether or not you agree with us and also what you would add or maybe subtract from this list. So we're going to hit that in just a minute. But first, we need to talk about the disastrous day that Roman had with our $115,000 Hummer, which broke down in the middle of the road while it was raining, and it wouldn't go into neutral to be pushed. Yeah, exactly right. And I do want to thank the fine writers over at Jalopnik for helping put together this list. We're going to comment on it. But let's talk about the Hummer. Uh, so me, you, uh, and Andre were driving back from the, well, it's an airfield, after mm. drag racing the Hummer against the Cadillac uh, Escalade V. Yeah. Which was, by the way, a car that everybody tried to grab the keys for here. It's a hoot. It's it's like a, it's like a gangster, an angry vehicle. I've never met a Cadillac with a bigger chip on its shoulder. It just is pissed off constantly. I, I think it's the most expensive car the GM builds. It's a, the sticker on it was a hundred and fifty thousand, right? Which is insane. But what you're paying for really is the uh, Blackwing powertrain, right? It's, so it's a supercharged V8. Mm -hmm. Puts out six hundred eighty-five horsepower. Something like that. Yeah. Does that sound right to you? Yeah. It sounds about right. And uh, they may have actually undercut it, too. I mean, the thing weighs a lot, but it is ridiculously fast. But it's still a classic Cadillac. They managed to keep the recipe and still make this thing into an absolute beast. Yeah, I know. Uh, and so we thought, hey, you know, this is uh, about as fun of a vehicle as you can have. So let's go and drag race it against our brand new Hummer, which we had just picked up. Uh, at the dealership. Uh, so that was our very first video. And by the way, if you're watching alltfl.com uh, where we have all these videos, uh, you'll note that there are other videos with Hummers. It, it, it just happened that GM lent us a Hummer at the exact same time that we took delivery of our Hummer. So we actually had two Hummers at the office. And they looked identical. Yeah, they they're, look, yeah they're all Because they're, they're all white and black, essentially, <laughs> mostly white. First uh, editions are all white. Right. And so that's that's why it looks the same. We had no choice in the matter. And, and, and make matters worse, we got our spec with the uh, spare tire, and the one the GM gave us had the spare tire. Yeah. It really, you'll be hard-pressed to tell the difference, except for the fact that 
the one that GM loaned us didn't break down on the road. The one we bought <laughs> did. So so we're driving it back from the drag race. And if you want to see that, go to alltfl.com. Uh, it's a fun drag race, actually. It is. Um, so before we leap into this. Before the, um, yeah, the 10 I, models. I would like to quickly recognize our Patreon uh, Oh, yeah. Go for it. Um, guys, thank you very much for chiming in. Uh, today, we don't have any comments, but normally speaking, when you go to TFL Card, which is where our Patreon is, that's the only account we have, um, you, if you send us a message through Patreon, we will answer it directly, either in this facility or perhaps in another one, but you, you kind of go ahead of the line, if you know what I mean. So thank you guys for your support. Without your support, we couldn't do what we did. Especially the podcast. Yes, especially yeah, the podcast. Yeah, because that really helps you know, pay for your time and my time and... Uh, the videographer's time and the editor's time. Well, where else am I going to get my hair styled if I don't have that picture on my <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's that's important. So uh, before we start this list, I wanted to point out something. Uh, there are a lot of cars on this list that actually could be relatively inexpensive oh, hold, hold collectibles. On. i got, I got to read this letter. This, i got a mean letter. Oh, you got a mean letter? Oh, i got a really mean letter. Oh, oh well, read the mean letter. Oh, I, God. I this, love this, this, to these this, guys. As I said, this has been a hell of a week. Uh, because, well, the other thing that happened was uh, both Fox News and Alex Jones used their videos to make political points <sighs> with the Hummer. But that's a whole other story. We also have a video that addresses we're not, that. We're not political, guys. We, we, that's we the whole point of TFL. We, we're, we're cars and we're trucks. We don't do politics. No, we would try to stay out of it. So we did do a video about that, but that video essentially is just pointing out that they used our stuff and we really would rather... Somebody them. actually said that they've unsubscribed now that we've mentioned Alex Jones. We didn't... He used our stuff. We didn't... We, we're just talking we put about it who's out there. using our stuff. Yeah, we put it Every, out there. People use it however they want. Yeah, uh, BBC's used our stuff. NBC's used our stuff. Yeah. Uh, almost every major network has. CBS Sunday Morning News used our stuff. A lot of times. And, and we've been on uh, public, uh, Colorado Public Radio yeah. uh, several times. And we mention that every time. So the point is, is that we're mentioning everything when people use our stuff because we're trying to be transparent. And we do not want to be politically aligned with either Group, so we don't care about that. All we care about is getting you the news. Anyway, so so I'm, we're driving back from this uh, drag race, and I get this. You, you're ahead of me. And we're all driving together, and we pull into Longmont in the middle of the truck rush hour traffic. I'm in a double left lane, and there's this message that pops up that basically says uh, you need to service your steering rack, uh, and your autonomous emergency braking is now offline. I'm like, you know what? I'll just uh, cycle the truck. Basically, I'll just it's a long line waiting to make a left turn. I'll just stop. I'll hit the power button, like a computer, right, or a phone. Reboot it. Reboot it, basically. And I did that, and guess what happened? It didn't reboot. It <laughs> it, it, it it got locked in park. And it wouldn't go into neutral, it wouldn't go into drive, it wouldn't go into reverse, no matter what I did. And the way you would normally fix that is you would pull the battery, right? Mm -hmm. But because... Well, you should probably tell everybody what the battery you're referring to, because yeah. there's two batteries, Yeah, all electric cars have two batteries. They have the high-voltage battery, which is the one that's used to propel the vehicle. Which is usually lithium-ion or something along yeah, those lines. Right, right. And then they have a traditional 12-volt, which operates things like hazards, which is good. Mm -hmm. Or the OS... <laughs> Which is bad. <laughs> right. So essentially, just like a regular gas-powered vehicle, uh, the 12-volt battery powers a lot of the essentials on board yes. without actually use, being used for power you know, to make it move. To make, you know, move the truck with it. So normally what you would do is, in this case, the, the battery is under the hood, mm -hmm. uh, and you would pop the hood, and you would just you know, pull one of the terminal leads, and it would hopefully reboot the system. Mm -hmm. um, so I tried to do that by opening the hood, and the button didn't work, uh, and the fob didn't work. Basically, the hood was not going to open. Because it's uh, electric release. 
because it's operated by the OS, which is now locked up. So, <laughs> so, okay. so it, got, it started to rain, and the guy came by and said, hey, I'll, I'll tow you out of the way. And I was like, thank you, but you're not going to move a 9,500-pound truck that's in park. Yeah, essentially it's a 9,500-pound paperweight now. Exactly right. It's yeah. absolutely useless. You can't and, do anything with it. Dude, you know what was really stressing me out? There was a girl behind me. This happened a lot. So I have my hazards on, and they're bright. They're LED hazards, basically, right? And this girl, like, sat there, like, th- through three traffic light cycles waiting for me to move, thinking that I had my turn signal on. And then when she was back there, people would, like, there was, like, a two-mile backup behind her, even though I'm in a double left, so people could go around her. And I, I had to eventually get out of the truck and say, look, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And she was, like, buried in her phone. She was completely oblivious. Completely oblivious to what you were terrifying doing. if you ride motorcycles. Terrifying. Oh, I bet. Because right, yeah. if this person doesn't even sits through three traffic cycles, three light cycles, right? Mm-hmm. Red, green, red, green, red, right, green. Right. That probably took like five minutes and, and is unaware that I'm stuck. Imagine what that means if you're out there. And, anyway, that's a whole other She would tiring. look right through the rider and run into it most likely. So it's And there's a lot of people. So I had to tell her. I was like, yeah. girl, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. Go around, please. And then, did you have the direct traffic after she moved to go around you? Yeah, and then eventually Tommy came to rescue me. And what we figured out, and tow truck driver came, what we figured out was that there was this little tiny cable buried way under the uh, – passenger, uh, no, driver's footwell that would, if you pulled on it not once, but twice, <laughs> it would release the hood, which then allowed you to pull the terminal and the battery, mm-hmm. and then the system reset, then we could actually put the truck and, in drive. And so you were able to get out of there once right. you did that. It's a little tiny loop that's that's a tiny cable. It doesn't even look like it goes to anything. So so one yeah. of the things that we're, we pride ourselves, as you know, Nathan, on is that we're always transparent. Yeah. Right? So whenever something like this happens, it's real-world reviews. We've done that for 12 years now. So we roll the camera. Yeah. So we show everything, my stress, uh, my stupidity, you know, the, 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 the driver's error, the truck error, whatever it is, we show it, you know, warts and all. Right. Because that's what we do. We're transparent. So this morning after, you know, a very stressful week, I get this email from a guy called Matt, right? Uh, so this is what he wrote. And he's referring to you as well. So yeah, please. Keep, keep this in mind, okay? So, Matt, I'm going to read your email, okay? Maybe when dealing with technologies you don't understand and engineering processes uh, that you don't understand, uh, that's because neither of you are engineers. Uh, maybe you should read the owner's manual for these EV vehicles and not presume that an EV would function like a simple laptop or that you can get in an, in one of these cars and drive them. So... We have to read the owner's manual first. Before, because before we, we drive them, that, because, that's, that's work. Because really everybody well. does that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay, oh, wait, I haven't done that at all. Okay, keep going. Having, having listened to many of your podcasts, so thank you for listening, Matt, and watch your videos, your lack of knowledge as it pertains to electric vehicles and fuel economy standards and the reasons behind the government policies uh, is not only offensive, it's actually dangerous, Nathan. It's dangerous. We're dangerous. Okay, so uh, does he say why? <laughs> as you are aware with a listener base that is even more ignorant than you guys are. So well, now, now he's now not he's only insulting, insulting everybody else. <laughs> and you guys there. out there, Matt, too. Matt, you're on everybody's Christmas list. Keep going. Please educate yourself about these things you talk about uh, as you have a big influence on the automotive world in this country. Mm, okay, uh, real quick, a couple things. Matt, exactly what do you want us to infl- to like refresh our minds on do you want to talk about amperage do you want to talk about wattage do you want to talk about how much these cars cost do you want to talk about whether or not the batteries are properly sealed what do you want to talk to us about because 
Um, there are a couple things you should probably know. Between Roman and I, just the two of us in here, we've driven probably a thousand cars. I think we've driven every car on the market Pretty and much, truck in the last yeah, 12 years. Yeah, and we've talked to the engineers who actually build them. That's what, now, I, wrote, look, that's what I wrote to them. Now, there's an important thing. You're right. I, I personally am quite ignorant in terms of a lot of the components that go into the vehicle. And from time to time, I screw up, you know, wattage and amperage and everything else and try to get it wrong. Kilowatt hour versus kilowatt. I, I mess that up sometimes. I'm still learning. I admit that. And I admit that to you guys. On top of that, I've owned an electric vehicle, my own, and I'm curious whether or not you own one, uh, for over two years. And I've learned a lot about it. And I've educated people the best I can on that. So... Uh, Matt, your mother says that you really should write nicer letters that perhaps have smaller words for idiots like us. I'm sorry, Roman. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. Yeah. I, I figured you would have the appropriate, and I, and I, I agree. Yeah. That was the appropriate word. So let, let me just... Nothing um, but love, Matt. Mwah. Let me just unpack this, first of all, just from my point of view, okay? Mm-hmm. I, and, and, you know, normally we get a lot of, like, nasty emails, but there's a line... Uh, and this letter crosses, and that line is when you start to impugn our credibility. Or saying that we're dangerous. Yeah. That's, I think that's that, a load of crap. You know, or, or, you know, question our professionalism or question, you know, the standards that we run by, which which you clearly not only crossed, but you crossed and jumped over in a very, uh, I would say... Um, Malicious? Rude way. Yeah. <laughs> in a very rude way. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, dear Matt, uh, do you know what happens when the OS locks up uh, on the Hummer EV? No, he doesn't because he doesn't drive he probably one. Doesn't, he, I would bet he doesn't own one. No, you don't and, own and, one. And, and, and Matt, do you, know, um, you know where and in what form the owner's manual is in the Hummer EV? Take a guess, take a guess Nathan. Do you think it's a paper uh, owner's yeah. manual, or do you think that it's maybe one of those newfangled electronic owner's manual that is in the OS? So here's a fun point. What, what do you think happens uh, when it locks up? For the past five years, automakers have been getting, many of them have gotten rid of the actual physical owner's manual. Which I hate, quote, by the way. I, I do, the, I do I, I actually agree with you. When I get a car, the first thing I do is I dig into the owner's I don't read Especially them. when we buy them. Yeah, you can't you can't read 500 pages of like, you know, uh, make sure you go and service your vehicle every 15 But what the rest of the viewers right. and listeners should probably know is that a lot of automakers are now doing OS not even online. They just do it inside the car, yeah. so it's buried inside the vehicle. So if you cannot access the OS system, you cannot read the manual. But more importantly, if the manual is not there, then you're not going to sit in your car for three hours in traffic and, and, while traffic and click through pages. Now, I, I do admit, you're, you're right about one thing. Uh, buying a new car, one of the first things we really should do is look over the manual for basic things. But honestly... Who would have expected the vehicle to go into this mode and then completely die and then not allow him to go into a secondary mode of any sort to get out of that type of incident? Actually, I tried to go into what's called safe mode. Right, and <laughs> it, did it, it, it did nothing, right? <laughs> it did nothing, yeah. So, So bottom line, Matt, and you know, for any other viewer who feels that, yes, we do make mistakes all the time, but we're real about it. And we're honest about it. And that's one of the big differences. And Matt, seriously, if you don't like what we do, if you feel like the information we're providing is wrong, there are other people you can watch and listen to. Yeah, okay. feel free. Feel free. Let's move on. Let's move on. And Matt's gotten enough attention. So the bottom line is that um, you do have a point. I, you know, If there was a manual to read, perhaps we should just sit down while we're on the t- toilets, where I always read my manuals, and look at them. Is that why they're so stinky? Yeah, well, they, you know, they tend to. You know, I, I wash my hands. But the point is, is that it's, when they're embedded in the car, I know they're trying to save trees. I get it. 
But I really I wish... Think it, I think it's a bad idea to... It's a terrible idea, I, but I, I think what they should do is they should highlight, laminate a few pages and just highlight the basics. I mean, how are you going to read it on the toilet if it's in the car? I know. Well, they, exactly. And, and then if or you're... Truck. Matt, if you're saying, oh, but you can find it online, you know what? Not necessarily. Tommy had to dig a lot in order to find... What, how to actually pop the hood? You know what I mean. You guys actually had to go scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll. It wasn't that easy hey, to hey, access. Here's here's an idea, Nathan. Yeah. Why don't you just put a traditional hood release, <laughs> like a little lever that every car for the last what fifty years had? Wouldn't that be something? It's more than fifty, I think. Too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, yes. I, I'm just suggesting that to GM. I I know I know. Okay. Let's let let's move on because we have this whole thing with these cars that that uh, are apparently uh, dangerous because we're going to mention them to our audience. Um, so shall we start with this? Now these are the most, well, some of the most um, important slash popular cars in yeah, some cases. Yeah, yeah. That and this, these are the worst versions of them. And there's a lot of other ones that we could mention that we're not going to mention in this list. But we just wanted to go on a couple colorful ones. And then, and at the end of this, we're also going to give you our. Our, our best picks for winter cars because winter is coming. So oh, okay, we're gonna throw so that in we're, too. We're gonna throw that in. We're gonna do a whole whole, whole hog on this. Yeah. So uh, this list comes to us from Jalopnik. Uh, so thank you, Jalopnik. Uh, we we, we kind of picked little pieces out of it. We, we didn't did. we didn't use all of their stuff, and we don't necessarily agree with it. But I wanted to. This does come from Jalopnik, but it comes from their viewers, their their readers. So these cars actually are quoted. Which, by their readers as as the ones that can, they pick. Can I give you a recent stink that for because we're on? Let's talk about this car. Okay. So this is the Mustang Two. You're right. This is and the Ford Mustang Two. They were essentially built between '73 and '78, and they are considered by many to be the absolute worst Mustang built. And yes, as, and as you guys know, the first Mustang came out in '64 and a half. Right. Uh, and it's been built continuously until today, where Ford just introduced. I want to say it's. Uh, is it? Seventh or eighth generation. I think it's the seventh or something like that. I think that. it's eight, might be eight. Might anyway, be eight. yeah. Once again, you know, there's a lot of numbers. Not floating. a huge difference between the prior generation and this so, one. So they introduced at the LA Auto Show, and there was a bit of a stink. Uh, there were two topics that actually caused some stink about this issue. The first one was uh, that a lot of the journalists felt that the newest version of the Mustang, the latest generation, wasn't uh, a new generation at all, but it was a just a, a not a mild, but you know, a rather uh, serious refresh. So usually the way that you designate a generation is you have a new chassis. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this current generation that was just introduced at the Detroit Auto Show, it's the current chassis. And um, it's not the first time Ford's done that either. And it's also the current engine, basically. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, they'll tell you that that it the sheet metal's different, and right. you know that that there's nothing but 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 basically it's the same engine architecture and the same chassis, and so a lot of the journalists were like, eh, I think that's a refresh, dudes. Mm -hmm. uh, but the second more interesting controversy that Ford kicked up was that they called it the longest running uh, American sports car. Now, as you know, there's another car that might have been introduced before '64 and a half. Yeah, it would be the Corvette. Exactly. Yeah, the Corvette was uh, in the fifty-three. 50s. I yeah, think, exactly. Was the first one. Exactly. So, so, so Ford had rested that argument on a technicality because there was like one model year where they didn't have a new model year. They were still selling like the previous model year, oh. but they didn't like call. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it was going from the C3 to the C4 or something like that. There's like there's a, there was a yeah, gap. There's, there's a, like yeah, there's a gap where there's not a model year for that, but they were right. still selling it. So, so so everybody was like, "Hey, hold your horses. Come on, guys. The Corvette was around long before the Mustang." Yeah, yeah. And, and the, yeah, Ford is um well, Okay, I'm not going to go into what I think about the new generation, honestly, until I drive it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I agree. So, so let's talk about this one, the Mustang II. Right. Uh, you know, uh, people, uh, 
people, uh, I think, rightfully dislike this car because <laughs> basically they took uh, what became a muscle car, right, and turned it into an economy car. That's what happened. Well, the platform this one's based on is essentially the same platform that was designed for the Ford Pinto, which has really horrible distinction as being a really lousy vehicle. This one, um, by the way, they even had the Lima four-cylinder in these, which is notoriously weak. And it went all the way up to a big honking V8. They actually did make some very fast versions they, of this they car. Made, they made a GT 500 version of this. Essentially. Shelby. They made a yeah, Shelby version. They made version. a Shelby version of yeah, it. Yeah, Shelby and, version of it, yeah. Sorry. And um, this was also featured in uh, Charlie's Angels, the, the original <laughs> show, which is the only reason why I knew about the car. Because, you know, everybody held their nose up to it. But the point is, and the important point is that, this car was one of the biggest sellers for Ford. At the time, they absolutely trounced sales of Mustangs prior and many after. But at the same time, it wasn't considered very sporty, especially with that Lima four-cylinder. That thing was just weak sauce. It was uh, still cramped. It had a larger trunk, which is really like one of the things like, oh, it's got a bigger trunk. But yeah, it was basically an economy car trying to look a little sporty. But this was the base model right here, by the way. Dare I say that, um, you know, as much as most people hate this car, it was kind of the right car for the right time, right? We had just gone through the energy crisis. Yeah, this is uh, the middle of it right here. This is right in the middle of it. And, and you know, GM uh, did no favors by introducing the Chevelle. Mm. No, the, sorry, the Chevette, sorry. By introducing the Chevette, okay. which, which was, you know in some ways, much worse than this, right? So, so That came out a little tiny bit later than this. My parents had one. Did they my have mom, a Chevette? Yeah, my oh, mom God. had a Chevette, which yeah. was, I was embarrassed for myself and my family. But my dad was just like, damn it, we're going to find a way to save some gas. This is like... Yeah, the, and so, so the Japanese were here, obviously, with the Civic, and that's coming up on our list as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the time, like I say, this was the car that Ford needed to build because it, you couldn't, because of emissions and because of the fuel crisis, and if you're too young for that, basically what happened was that Saudi uh, Arabia decided to cut oil production. Wow, that sounds like what's happening right now. <laughs> I know, history doesn't repeat itself. It <laughs> rhymes, Nathan. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, and um, then there was gas rationing. I remember my dad had an LTD at the time, which was not exactly a very efficient car. My dad had car. a large uh, Fleetwood Cadillac. And, uh, <laughs> that was even worse. We actually would wait in, in, in like areas. He would stock some gas stations that you know, weren't 24-7 like they are now. So we would stock gas stations, and he would find one that had a cheap price. And I would be in the back seat waiting to go to school. And he'd go, I don't know. We're going to get gas. And we'd go get gas, beating out people. And my dad would fill up gas like while smoking, which was awesome. Uh, and then we would take off, and my dad's like, okay, we've got to make that last for a week. And we're doing this in a, in a uh, Cadillac that got, you know, eight miles per gallon. Yeah, and, and the, I think the way they rationed it was it was like, wasn't it like odd-numbered plates? They had that, in, too. You mm -hmm. know, on odd-numbered days. And, and I so think if you had a personalized plate, which they even had back then, uh, er, earlier versions yeah. of it, you then they would go based on uh, we were kids, the last guys, thing. We were, you know, I was, like, I was like 10 at the time. Yeah, I was like three or four years old, but, but, but it went on for a little while, especially in Southern California, which is where I uh, was born and raised. So that was horrible. This car is a result of that, especially with its, you know, lower power and just absolute choked off, you know, tiny carburetor. And, and the irony is that all they did was just build cars that were just as bad on fuel, right? But just down, I mean, we just come from this muscle car era where we had these giant big block uh, V8s, right, mm -hmm. that, that, that suck gas like there's no tomorrow. But the problem with this car is that compared to those cars, it did okay. But by modern standards, it was still horrific. Oh, it was horrific. And this is also the, uh, at, around the time that uh, Cadillac, con uh, Cadillac, 
Catalytic converters hit. This is the first generation. Second generation catalytic converters are far better. These earlier ones still had a lot of problems with, I think, nitrogen. Uh, but the second part of this whole thing is that these cars, you know, the little PCB valves that they you know, enforce, you had to have all this stuff in them. And it just completely choked performance, you, you, going you, all the way into the 80s. You know what's crazy? We Sometimes uh, in Colorado, if you... This is, this is why pre-76 cars in Colorado are much more valuable because pre-76, you don't have to smog the car. Mm-hmm. But post-76, you do. And the regis- regis- <laughs> registration legislation is so crazy in Colorado that you have to actually return the cars to the state at which they were in in 1976 or 77, right? So if you want to go get it to pass emissions here, you have to go put all that crap back on it, which most people have taken off because it... You know, it, it's horrendous for fuel economy and it's horrendous for performance. And so then you got to go find that stuff. So people are just like, eh, it's not worth it, especially in a car like that. Yeah, it it it's this is and this is an interesting thing. The Mustang too, by the way, is very collectible, but not as a car itself for the underpinnings. The underpinnings of the Mustang too are used on more kit cars than almost any other. Uh, Platform other than Volkswagen. Uh, right, well, let's, let's, if we talked about the Corvette, let's go to the Corvette. That's, okay, we'll that's, jump to the Corvette. So yeah. it's interesting because Jalopnik, their readers, chose the C3 version of the Corvette. Um, I disagree with that. But I do. I, I think the C5, in my mind. So, it, so picture the C3 is is the Stingray, right? It's mm, the one that's very voluptuous. Yeah, right? very, the Coke, Coke bottle, bottle design. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, the C1 was like, it looks like a, like a almost like a British... Sports cars, yeah, the right? rounded off headlights, yeah. which later on had the quad headlights. But by the C3, you get that classic, beautiful Coke shape. Actually, my dad uh, almost bought one. He ended up buying a Z instead. Mm. Uh, but I remember it. I remember it sitting in the um, in the dealer showroom. It was an Indy uh, Pace Car Edition, which mm-hmm. is really cool. So it was like this two tone gray color. Right. And I remember as a kid, just like wishing my dad would buy it. Uh, but it only, if I remember right, had a, a big old V8. But once again. Same problem, right? You're going through this like horrible time with emissions. I think that thing put out like 180 horsepower. At one point in time, it did, but th- that's another platform where they had V8s that had you know sub 200 horsepower, in some cases mid 100 horsepower range, all the way up to some absolutely astonishing powertrains that were also in that same car. Which is why I don't agree with the C3. Um, I think the C5, which was an unusual car. I never thought it looked very good. It, that was my biggest issue with it. I thought it was, it was a terrible looking Corvette out of all the Corvettes that have been out there. So Case, are, you know, if you guys watch TFL, you know Case. He just bought a C4. Yeah, and he the distinction, Yeah, the distinction about that one is uh, it actually brought, like, modern car performance. It had that digital dash, especially mm-hmm. if you got it pre-1990. Yeah. And the coolest thing is it had those headlights that flipped up backwards, right? So they, yeah. they didn't just flip. They didn't pop up. They they spun around at a 180 degree. Yeah. And that, that's really cool. When those things go, you're like, wow. When they work right, they, they're awesome to look at. And the car itself was such a departure from the C3. So I think the C4 was really cool, especially because, once again, just another leap for General Motors. The C5, which essentially replaced it, wasn't all that much different, but at the same time, it looked like it was melted, like a melted crayon. Yeah, so I think that came around, and I, once again, guys, don't make fun of me if I get this number wrong, but it was like in the 19, it was like early, late 80s or 90s, right? Uh, it was in the 90s, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it was so, it was still a pop-up headlight car. Maybe, it was maybe the like last early thing. 90s. Yeah. I could probably Google it. Yeah, early 90s. The, the, I'll the, Google it, why not? Yeah, well, while he's talking, um, it, this is an aesthetics thing. It's not necessarily an engineering thing. 
You know, with the C4, which is the one that Case has, uh, I mean, there was a point in time where they were able to get Lotus to help them with the design of the engine. On top of Lotus, I also worked with Mercury Marine. Uh, so there's some fascinating things that happened with the C4. C5, not so much. It, it, there were a couple neat versions of it, and, you know, they were known, and they are known as being very easy to acquire. So for you collectors out there, maybe they're All right, so, so the C3, third generation, went from 1968 to 1982. Mm-hmm. And then uh, C4, which is what Case has, went from uh, 84 to 96. Yeah. So I was wrong. Uh, and then the one that you don't like, the C5, uh, that one went from, let me go here. Is it 96 to 97, 2004. Yeah. Four, yeah. Okay. And, and it's funny because uh, I've been, you know, we were looking, we're do- we did that video series where we bought these 90s convertibles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there isn't as much of a difference in C4 uh, versus C5 prices as you think. I, which I think has, part of that has to do with the way the C5 looks. I, I'm not kidding. I think that the aesthetics of it turns people off. And I've heard from a lot of other, like, Corvette guys. Now, look, I may be totally wrong. I'm not a Corvette guy, really. But a lot of people felt that the C5 was just like a quick placeholder working up to the C6, which was a completely different beast. Yeah, I remember we, we had the C6 in mm-hmm. here. We had the Grand Sport. I really I loved that. I loved that, that, that was a, car. Yeah, it had that four, those four exhaust pipes coming out the back. It, but it was yeah. just such a better car in terms of interior build and overall design. And, and then the C7 was another... Uh, you know, a huge step above that. Huge step. Yeah. So uh, we've been talking about, you know, expensive vehicles or for, you know, performance ones. Let's move to something that is a mom and dad car, but extremely popular. Okay. And the best seller for this particular automaker, and that's the Nissan Pathfinder. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. so you've owned that car, actually. I've owned one of them. And we've uh, owned a Pathfinder, too. Yes, we, we have. Own the, we own the first gen. And I had a third gen. Yeah. And the one that they're talking about is a fourth gen, which goes from 2013 to 2020. And I completely agree with the Jalopnik guys who uh, came up with this one because that is essentially a station wagon. So, yeah. So here's the thing about Pathfinder. The first one was body on frame. It was a truck. Mm -hmm. Then the second one, they went to unibody. It was unibody, but it was still kind of a truck. It had a solid rear axle. It was was capable. Third one, body on frame. Like truck. I had, yes. Fourth one, Mall finder. Yeah, yeah, the mall finder. And, you know, I I really wanted to give it a – I kept thinking – Maybe they f- know something I don't. So Roman and I actually went, it was in Napa, wasn't it, mm-hmm. to the event for this vehicle. And they were sh- this is when they shoved a CVT into it. And a CVT dragging around that much weight was a hell of a thing. I and remember, I remember like, going up and down these hills uh, in Napa, right, which were basically like where you would uh, have vineyards. Yeah, of course. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, a front-wheel drive Civic, and we'll get to that, <laughs> could do this. And there we are, you know, in, in off-road mode <laughs> in yeah, a CBT we, in this in And this it really, it, it was very unhappy. And Nissan tried for a while to, to fix it, and they really didn't until just recently when they came out with the all-new Pathfinder, mostly new, but it has an all-new powertrain. A and real that, transmission. That nine-speed transmission makes such a difference. So, the, and it wasn't just that. I also felt that the Pathfinder, which used to look butch and macho and capable, suddenly was all rounded and looked like um, like wax was dripped on it. Yeah, they, they they went from like square to round to square to round. You know what I mean? And every like time really you, round. Yeah, every time you go to like masculine to feminine, masculine to feminine. It, it, if you go and make something more masculine for some reason, it does better in the marketplace, mm-hmm. right? Both men and women seem to appreciate more masculine cars, uh, as opposed to when you go and make it more feminine. 
that, right. that, that doesn't seem to gender as much love, uh, at least when it comes to who buys them and how much they sell. The other part of it is that uh, even as much as we don't like it and the, the uh, audience members of Jalopnik didn't like it, they sold the hell out of them. Nissan Pathfinder sales initially jumped significantly when they came out with it. Why? Because it was suddenly a family vehicle. It wasn't an off-roader anymore. And because of that, they could just basically make a very large cabin with a front-wheel drive platform and essentially... Yeah, yeah, as an afterthought, they kind of threw in rear drive on it to make it all-wheel drive. So let's play a game, okay? Let's, let's, right. let's see if we can do this just off the top of our head. So I'm going to start this, okay? Think of a masculine car uh, that sells incredibly well, right? And then we'll try to do the opposite for a feminine car, and then we'll try to find one that's kind of both masculine and feminine that sells really well. Yeah, my wife's going to kill me for this broadcast if she listens to it. Okay. I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, I know we're living in weird times, but just go with me on this because there are masculine criteria, right, that, that are kind of uh, like built into some vehicles. And I would say a, mascul a very masculine car would be like uh, a Jeep Wrangler. I was going to say Wrangler would be my yeah, choice. Yeah, very square jaw, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, you know, it, it doesn't it, it, it doesn't elicit like you, it's not a car you would stick a lot of flowers on. Okay. Right? It just would be weird. All right. Are, I mean, we, are we talking about current cars being built or ones that have been built? You pick too? anyway. So how about, a, how about a feminine car that's Volkswagen very Volkswagen EOS. A Neos, interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely the most feminine car ever made. Really? The convertible? Mm -hmm. The little hardtop convertible? Yeah, I know you liked it, but I, I hate it. <laughs> I, it's the most feminine car ever made. It, and the reason why I would say that is because there's something about it that um, I, I, a man can't look like a badass in that. And that's kind of my point. But, you know, anybody else would look fantastic in it. All right. How about a gen? I'm, I'm going to be politically correct. I'm going to say a gender neutral car, one that's kind of doesn't go either way. Okay. Mm um, anything that Mercedes-Benz builds other than the G-Wagon. You think? Yeah. You think they're very kind of... They're, I think they're general neutral. Uh, and actually, most German vehicles I would put in that same thing because it's just, to me, that's what they feel like. Uh, if I look at something like, um, you know, Ford Mustang, obviously they're trying to make it into a manly car. Uh, same with Especially most sports. One. Yeah. The yeah. new one got really you know, angry. chiseled, and, angry, you know, yeah. angry look. And I think the angry thing, and uh, Ralph Giels, who... Uh, Giels. I always say Giels, and it's Giels. I know. Sorry, I'm Ralph. Sorry. Ralph, I'm sorry. But he... He's Canadian. Uh, well, he, he's yeah. also got uh, Haitian background. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's an interesting, yeah, amazing very designer. interesting guy, yeah. But he, he likes to use the very heavy-handed, uh, as he would even say, his words, a masculine theme to the most of the vehicles he designs. And if you look at his history... Yes, those vehicles look like they want to punch you in the face. And that kind of, to me, indicates, you know, the, the double Y chromosome mentality of that type of design. So, so I'll give you one that, that went from very masculine to very feminine or somewhat feminine. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by masculine, I mean, like, it was, like, chiseled and, and square and to very rounded. And that's the Corvette. I mean, not the Corvette, the uh, uh, Viper. Okay, and, and it it's actually on the list. And it didn't sell. So let's talk about the Viper. Okay, so um, what they say is the ZB1 Viper, which is the se technically the second generation Viper, is the one they're saying is the least popular. Even though it performed better, essentially, than the first gen, they say it's the second gen. I think Roman's saying the third gen is I'm the one. I'm thinking it's the third gen, right, the one that went, uh, and I'll tell you why. And it, has n it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with masculine or feminine. It has to do with the fact that I think they tried to build, like, a Ferrari competitor. Mm -hmm. So to me, the Viper was like the Harley of cars, right? It was it was raw and it was unrefined and it didn't have any of the 
typical driver aids, mm. you know, safety aids, right? I mean, there, in the first generation, there was no AB. I don't think there was any ABS. I could be wrong. No, there, there, there was. was um, it, yeah. Maybe, maybe that was mandated, but maybe no stability control. I think uh, even an airbag was an issue at the, the, for the first gen. Uh, but, but anyway, it, 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 you know, it was the kind of car that, uh, um, you know, you had to drive and you had to uh, know how to drive to drive fast and quickly because you could get in over your head very quickly. And, yeah. and, and by, like I say, the third generation, it became more of a, like a Lamborghini Ferrari competitor. Uh, and it lost that kind of Harley edge, that kind of like, uh, uh, I don't know, outlaw. Let's call it outlaw edge to it that the first two generations had. Mm. Would you agree with that or am I just... Am I, uh, no, am I, I totally disagree. You know, okay, fair I, you, you and I are very different on, on the Viper. I know you had horrible uh, you know, driving impressions, of the, especially of the third gen. I, I adore every Viper made and... You know they're not um, they're not play school cars, and one of the reasons why I think you don't see too many of them at SCCA events driven by people who don't necessarily know how to drive is because they do swap ends if you don't know what you're doing. There's so much torque running through that car, and they're not as big as I think you think they are. They look really big when you see their picture. They're they're just small. They are small. Um, and and for big guys, they're small. They're not as forgiving as Corvettes. And that's one of the reasons why I think an, an average driver or even a slightly above average driver can hustle around a Corvette, equal year Corvette uh, over a um, Viper. But on the other end, All right, so the, the first... proper driver can absolutely hammer a Corvette when they're, and Paul, I bet you would attest to this, uh, when you go around a track with a proper driver. So the first generation, I just Googled it, went from 91 to 95. Mm -hmm. um, and then let's look at the second generation. That went from 96 to 2002. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third generation went from 2003 to 2006. Uh, and then the fourth generation, that's one I That's the one you really don't like. Don't like. I'm sorry, it wasn't the third. Uh, that went from 2008 to 2010. Uh, and the fifth generation, which is the one I don't like, so, oh, it's the fifth? Yeah, there's five um, generations of these guys. Yeah, but they're, okay, so they're being... 2013 to 2017, that's the one that I, I'm not a big fan of. Okay, I, I'm going to say personally that there, I felt that there were really three real generations of it. Uh, they're, they're kind of cutting between lines, but regardless, the one that you're talking about was the last version of the Viper built. That's the one that you're referring to. Yes. That's the one that uh, you drove in the rain. Yes. And uh, you just didn't really think much of it. I get that. Uh, also, you didn't like sitting in the cockpit well, of it either. Also, also, I didn't like the fact that uh, it didn't come with an automatic because I love the vehicle and I want it to survive. And I thought to myself, uh, this has, you know, I mean, the, the, the rub against the Viper is that it was originally developed, uh, the powertrain from a truck, right? It's a V10. Essentially. Well, yeah. I mean, the similar one. Right, yeah. So I, there's a video I did with actually the engineer talking about that. Uh, and so, you know, there, 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 there's arguments on both sides of that. But anyway, uh, you did have this very heavy clutch. And I, I love the fact that it's manual. Don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. But the problem was the guys who were buying this were like probably in their 70s, right? Because they're the ones who can afford it. And they're not going to deal with the heavy-footed manual. Uh, and I talked to Ralph about it. And I said, Ralph, you know, if you want this thing to succeed, I think you're going to need to do an automatic. And he was like, you know, we're, we're lucky. Because that was right when... Um, it was the company. It was actually Chrysler was purchased by Stellantis, mm -hmm. and so uh, they they were like a gnat's breath away from selling the Viper. No, you mean you mean that's when they were bought by Fiat, not Stellantis. This is before. Oh, it was the Fiat? Yeah, yeah, Fiat and then Stellantis. So yeah. yeah, Fiat bought them, and it was like a gnat's breath away from actually being sold. I think to the to an investment group. 
at the time. And they, it, they were temporarily. They were a part of a Cebris. And, and, no, no, but Cebris was going to was going to was going to piece them up, peel and, off. Yeah, yeah. And that was even worse. Worse. Yeah. And then, then Fiat came along. And it, like, it, it was like some it was like some bureaucratic, uh, like like the, the contract was signed at the wrong time, and so it stayed with uh, Fiat and then eventually Stellantis. Right. But, um, yeah, uh, he, he said basically that they were just lucky enough to develop it given the budget and that an automatic would have just been too much money. But it, I think it was what killed the Viper because the people who would buy those things uh, probably wanted an automatic, not okay. a manual. Uh, and, and I, 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 would I agree. flogged that horse. Yeah, I know. And I would agree. An automatic probably would have saved it at least for another year or so. But uh, the point is, is that, um, yeah, you're, you're wrong, and that's okay about uh, the Viper. But uh, they, according to the readers, they say the ZB-1 version, 2003, that's the one that they dislike. Um, let's move on to one of the most popular vehicles in the country that's not a pickup truck. Okay. And that's the Honda Civic. Yeah, and we actually had first an experience with this one. We were mm-hmm. there when they unveiled it, and all the journalists stood around with their mouths agape, thinking to themselves, what the hell have they done? Well, we saw what they, it was a refresh. This is actually the seventh generation, which goes from 2000 to 2004, essentially 2005. Um, and that's the seventh generation is the most boring-looking Civic out there. And they went from building a vehicle that gave you kind of a little bit of an experience with a little tiny bit of fun to an appliance, essentially. So I do agree with Jalopnik on this choice. Um, The seventh generation had pretty soft styling. And the one that replaced it, the uh, eighth generation, was like much more futuristic. Maybe it was a little overdone, but I thought it was a much better looking vehicle and perhaps the one that had a little bit more passion baked into it. I always felt that Civics before then, before the seventh, were kind of good looking, especially the SI. Uh, so this is a personal thing. Um, this is what I think Roman's actually looking it up on his phone right now, but um, I just, I, I do agree with him on that. And uh, I am once again also curious about your perspective. The very last version of the Civic was one of the first auto events I went to as a journalist. So there's that. I think I was like around 2003 or so. Um, okay, should we move on, Roman? No, because you got it wrong, dude, and, and Jalopnik got it wrong. It was the ninth generation. I think that was the bad one, not the seventh. Okay, that, so, uh, so was, you tell me why you think the ninth one. I, well, don't, I know exactly which one the ninth one is. It was 2011. That's right? the one where we went and we actually saw them. Oh, man, the, the and, and then CEO, with, I think it was. And then within a year, Honda actually had to go and redevelop it uh, with a new exterior and a new interior. Yeah, they, yeah, they got people hammered. hated it so much that it took them a year to actually refresh it. I See, I didn't hate it as much as everybody else did, though. And this is why I'm agreeing with the seventh generation as opposed to that one. Uh, that one, one of the biggest problems was they, they somehow, they were like midway with everything and it just didn't look like or act like. Everybody was like, this is horrible. This is yeah. like, it, it, it was like, it was bland and it was boring and it was like. The infotainment no system didn't work right. There was like a lot of problems. Interior was like, like way below market. Uh, and so within a year, they actually had to refresh both the interior and the exterior. It was Which that they've never done before. Four, yeah. it, usually it's like a four-year yeah, exactly. you know, thing. And what happened was we went to, I think it was the LA Auto Show, where the CEO yeah, came yeah. out, and he was extremely defensive about the car. Yeah. and why. We decided to do this on our own. It has nothing to do with your perspective. It's what we decided. I was like, I've never seen a Honda person acting so defensive ever or since, for yeah. that matter. Oh, CEO of America, not... 
Yeah, see, uh, yeah, yeah, he yeah, was yeah. Honda American yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, the dude was really like, you know, he's tuse about it. And it was, all of us, even the journalists are kind of looking at each other like, dude. But anyway, usually, so the way that usual car life cycles work is, in general, not always, like obviously cars like the Viper and the Corvette uh, are an exception. Mm. And trucks are also different. But most cars have a four-year life cycle. The, the, the ones that are on the value base, yeah. Like, and then, like and then halfway through, they refresh them. So mm-hmm. they come out, then they build them for two years, then they do a mild refresh. Basically, they they, they jazz up the taillights. Maybe a little bit different headlights. <laughs> they'll replace exactly. them with LEDs. Or, and then sometimes they'll like put in a big, bigger infotainment screen. Maybe they'll change the speaker arrangement around. They'll do some minor things, just enough to say, okay, this car has been refreshed, and let's talk about and it. And then in another two years, there's the next generation. This one, within a year, they were like, oh, boy, we got to change this yeah. up. There's something that happened inside that we'll never know in Honda, at Honda that really made that happen. But I'm going back to the seventh generation. It's still one of my least favorites out of all of them. It just took all the passion out of the Civic. It was such a fun car. Now, speaking of passion, can we move on to the next one? On yeah. this? We're kind of bouncing around here. Sure. This is not in any particular order, by the way. Uh, and that is the modern, the current BMW 3 Series. Ooh, they picked the, the current one, huh? A current one. There's a couple current ones in here, actually. There's there's a sub one as well, which as a bonus. The current BMW 3 Series, mechanically, I, I can't really fault it very much, but I know where they're going with this, and I'm sure you guys do too. Uh, and that's the front end design, uh, with all BMWs for that matter. The whole beaver teeth thing, which I'm sure many people have talked about ad nauseum, but... In this case, I would say that the whole car, BMWs became so heavy, so overwrought, and in many cases unreliable. And on top of that, their styling, which used to be really cutting-edge European, with a couple exceptions. I wasn't a big fan of what uh, Bangle did with uh, some of the BMW products out there. But anyway, this particular one, according to the readers at Jalopnik, is least favorite, and that's the modern one. So, so my favorite would be the E30 or the E36. Now, the yeah, e- the E30 is my favorite. Yeah, E30 runs from uh, 1982, and then it was followed by the E36, which came out in 1990. So, uh, we actually had an E30 convertible, if you remember, mm-hmm. for yeah. a while, uh, and that's the iconic one with the round headlights and the kind of clamshell hood, right? I just that think opens it's a, up. Yeah, a great design. Yeah, it's very yeah. European. Yeah, second generation. Uh, you know, it, it just, it just, it was a perfect size. It had the perfect uh, kind of look to it, mm-hmm. uh, the perfect, you know, just it was a just right car. Uh, and, uh, you know, then they built upon that with the E36. And over time, the BMW 3 Series became like car and driver's perennial top 10 pick. And then the Model 3 came out and the world changed and BMW all of a sudden found that their bestseller no longer was relevant. And so I kind of feel like what they're doing now is, they're they're really struggling to find relevance for it because look the 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 the, the BMW 3 series was always this compromise between family sedan and performance car and understated performance right that's what BMWs were all about they were mm-hmm. about understated performance uh, they were sleepers but they were incredibly uh, well built these early ones well relatively well built they handled incredibly well uh, and they uh, drove incredibly well. Uh, the, the the straight six power plant was the smoothest ever built. Uh, just just it had everything going for it, and then all of a sudden overnight Tesla came and changed the world. And two things happened: not only did electrification happen, but also sedans went out of vogue. Mm. So so now we're in a, we're in a moment of time where BMW is I think really struggling 
to find where it fits and what the brand values are. And that's why I think you're seeing these like giant beaver teeth on the front of it. I think you're seeing, you know, BMW trying to find its way in a world that has become much more electrified and much different from the world that that car was brought into. Well, the good news for BMW is that they are moving to all electrification, which is sort of mandated, so they have to anyway. The Germans are really on top of that. And we did drive a 5 Series version of the BMW um, uh, with an electric powertrain, and it was out of this world excellent. It was a great car. Um, I felt that the front-end styling was really the only thing that held it back from being next to damn perfect. It was I, so good. I kind of feel like they're, they're throwing st things up against the wall to see what'll stick, right? They've got hybrid cars. They've got, now there's a purely electrified BMW 3 Series, right? There's one that's a hybrid. They're just trying to figure out what is the best solution for their customers. Uh, and it's ironic because they were one of the first car companies with the i8 and the i3, Right? This, they were these, way ahead of their They time. were way ahead of the curve, and somehow they went from being ahead of the curve to like being behind the curve. I, I'm still kind of confused by how that all came to be. I think they got became gun-shy because the i3 did not sell well, and they were expecting it to sell yeah. much better. And it's a great car. Andre bought one. I bought the one that we used to have yeah. at TFL. Um, really, really good, good car, yeah. yeah. Remarkable he, engineer. He had the it. range extender, mm -hmm. uh, so he had both the electric and the little tiny Kimco 600cc engine in it. Uh, and the i8 was just kind of this weird, I, 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 we tried to buy one at one point. I just think it's a beautiful car, but it, 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 it kind of like, I don't know if it was, it, it, sometimes, you know, with cars, they're either too early or too late. Mm -hmm. And that one may have missed the wave completely. I think. Well, that's exactly, I think their timing was off. There are a lot of car companies that are way ahead of the curve. They miss the time and then they pull their car back and then everybody remarks, just like us, hey, they were ahead of their time. Um, let's move on to, we're almost done with this list, um, but I don't want to, I don't want to, how do I put it? I don't want to jump on uh, Dodge too much, but there are a couple Dodges coming up. All so right. let's go on the Dodge Durango. All right, let's talk about the Durango. The second generation, which was hideous. Okay. <laughs> they went from a pretty good-looking truck, which was based on you know the Dakota, which at the time was the rounded-body Dakota, which I still think is one of the best-looking small trucks out there. And they, they built this Durango, and it blew everybody away because it held uh, seven people. And up to seven people, and it was small enough to put in your garage. You could get one with a V8. In fact, really, I think I never. I don't think they ever had a four cylinder. I think it was V6 and V8. They even had a sporty version of it. They never had a super off-roady version of it. And part of the reason why was because they were connected with Jeep, and Jeep had at the time the Commando, the Commander, the Commander, right? Commander. Yeah. So, so Commando. Let, <laughs> let me put the ears on this. First generation came out in 1997, mm -hmm. and that that was a truck based. Obviously, that was the one that people remember fondly. Yeah, 97, I think, is uh, where the Dodge Durango second gen popped in. No, first gen was 97. Uh, second gen, I'll tell you, that's the one that nobody likes. Oh, just lost it there. Uh, second gen was. Come on, give me second gen. 1987 was first gen, according yeah. to Wiki. Okay. Uh, second generation was 2004, so that was that Why do one. I have 97 written here? I guess that, it was, that was the second generation okay. right there. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, so, and then the first generation was the so one. So what they did is they... they looked squared, like a semi-truck. Yeah, they, they squared off everything, and they made it bulbous, and it didn't have balance, and it just looked terrible. It didn't... It didn't inspire any confidence from any buyers, like, oh, wow, this looks like it's a cool truck that's fun to drive off-road. No. And it didn't look like a cool truck at all. It looked like a minivan with an unusual freight looks end. Like a, it looks like a startled cat. 
Yeah, but I mean, just look how big the, the passenger section is. I know, I know. It's, it's, all, it's all squared it's off. It's all weird, it's, yeah. And what they did was they based it loosely on a um, concept vehicle that they introduced. And then they got this facelift. Which looks even worse. <laughs> so the, the second generation. That came in 2007. Dodge, yeah, Dodge Durango was dreadful. The third generation, which we're, we're still, we still have, essentially. And they got worse. Then they made that out of it. The yeah, Aspen. that's the Aspen. <laughs> the Aspen was, but they also made a hybrid version of the Aspen, too, by the way. They, they, they had and then it got good like one year. in 2011 with the third generation. That's in 2011. Yeah. With the, and that was an all-new vehicle on an all-new platform. Much better. All right, so let me ask you this, Nathan. Yeah. You know that they uh, brought back the Hellcat-powered Yes, temporarily they brought back the SRT Hellcat. Right, so so they they sold two thousand originally, mm-hmm. which I got to drive. Yeah, do you lust after one of those? Yes, I yes. think it's a good time to I buy would, one. I would buy one of those over too. the Cadillac. I would buy it over the Cadillac. Would you really? I would totally buy it over the, the CTSV that we had, uh, the, the V Escalade that we had at the office. Yeah. You would buy that. You would buy. You would not. Well, first of all, that's one hundred fifty thousand, and the Durango Hellcat the is, is yeah going to be like ninety k. Yeah. Right. Or eighty or ninety. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, if but I by had the time the money, it's a dealers, it's going to be ninety. I think it'll drive circles around the Cadillac uh, on any course, and then it has more power. It has over seven hundred horsepower. Yeah, seven hundred and seven. Right, if it's the traditional. Uh, it, yeah, uh, and uh, it's yes, everything about it. It is, might be seven hundred two like, if I remember right. It might be a little bit less. I go with the vehicle I de- identify with more than the vehicle right, I want to be identified it. by. Uh, well, if I if I only had an instrument where we could find this exact I know, number, if we only had something we could do, yeah, that yeah. And I can't use this computer because we got to keep this thing up on screen. Yeah, um, the Dodge Durango, the second gen, just never had anything redeeming about it, as far as I'm concerned. I just didn't like the looks of it. Yes, it was bigger on the inside, but everything about the platform it was based on just seemed crappy. Seven ten, it went the other way. Wow. Oh, they put out even more horsepower yeah. now. Okay, seven ten, and yeah. so now the third generation, which is good. All the way through, uh, yeah. I mean, some people might say that they're a little bit on the thirsty side, perhaps. On the, if you get the V6 compared to other vehicles they compete against, and perhaps the interior is a little tight in the third row. I would agree with that too. But as Roman mentioned, they have a version that puts out 710 horsepower with a supercharged engine going to all four wheels. It is far less expensive than the Cadillac. And personally speaking. After driving one on a track and driving them all over Colorado and Los Angeles, I would totally get one. All right. So, so put a fork in that. So let's uh, talk about uh, the Mazda Miata, which you have on your list. Which one yes. are they saying is They're the third generation? They're saying the NC, the 2006. That was the one where they went to uh, much more of a bulbous design. Uh, I, I don't really agree with them necessarily. I... I um, NC uh, Qs came from the 2003 Mazda Ibuki concept car, according to Wiki. Mm-hmm. It was introduced in 2005 and was in production until 2015. Mm-hmm. So then the ND came along. That was from 2014 to 2019. And the before N- them, the, the ND – oh, sorry. Before the NC was the MB, so it's easy. It just goes alphabetical, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that went from 98 until whenever, whenever – Whenever the NC came along, I actually don't like the second generation. That's I, the one I don't like either. Right, I just don't look the NB. Yeah, I don't mind the NC. Wasn't yeah. wasn't the NC the biggest of them, if I remember right? Uh, it had the most room. Well, at the time, it was the big. It was bigger than the other the prior ones. I'm not sure if it's bigger than the other ones that are in existence now. But it introduced a power retractable hardtop. Mm. Mm, that's not good. Yeah, I um I don't necessarily agree with him. The funny thing about Miatas is that. Um, I always felt like the first gen was my favorite. 
I know that I can't fit <laughs> comfortably. The NA. Yeah. Yeah. The, the with the pop up headlights yeah. and the whole. It, it, there was such a simple, basic car, and I really enjoyed driving them. But the most recent one, we had uh, we had the one with the retractable hardtop. Yes. Um, it's a fantastic car. It's so freaking well made. And if you go back in time, every single version of the Miata is a driver's car. It is. Every single version is. I agree. They never lost that sauce. Well, I thought know, that they would ruin it. There's, and, there's that saying, Miata's the answer. I would say yes. I would say no because I don't fit in any of the freaking Miatas. Well, as long as the top's down, you're fine. No, I look in, I look right into the top of the A-pillar. Okay. Well, it, that's, it, you know, I have to drive it like my mom with my <laughs> head scrunched down so I can actually see through it. And that's with the top I, off. I do wish they would allow for the seat to have a little bit more rake so you could go back. I know. There. And Dave Coleman, you know, who was the one of the engineers at He's Mazda. He's an amazing guy. He was like, I could make, you, I could make anybody fit in the Mazda Miata. I'm like, okay, make me fit. And no, he couldn't make me fit. <laughs> the, the choice you end up with is... You Either scrunching down or driving it like Andre with your knees at that point in a Miata and your chin because yeah. you, they, they, you push the the seat forward and you recline it right. So That's what, which back. is what Andre does when he drives. Yeah, yeah, he drives like a pimp. Yeah, and, and then you've got your knees up in the air. So I love the Miata. I, oh, it is such a forbidden fruit for me, Nathan. I can't tell you how much I would love to own one of those. I just mm. do not fit. And I, I've been so close to like buying an old one because they're affordable, dude. You could buy a nice uh, NA. Probably for 10K. Yeah, I, I bet you Or could. less. Or less. Well, but like a well-taken-care-of one. And an NC, probably like 15K. Because they're just a lot of them. They're like tick tax, right? They're yeah, everywhere. Well, they're, they're, they're the best-selling convertibles yes. made right now. I would say that uh, we probably have one generation left before they either scrap them or they make them electric. That's my guess. Because Mazda, like everybody else, is going to have to go electric. So whatever's coming out soon, and I hear rumors that they are going to build one more I even heard a Look, rumor that this, it might this, do a rotary. This, this is like, you know how, how they have like first world problem. This is a tall person problem, right? In ninety nine percent of life, it's good to be tall, right? But there are two times in life where it sucks being tall. One is in an airplane, and two is in a Mazda MX five Miata. Yeah, uh, especially if it's a hard top convertible, then you're really screwed. Okay, uh, let's move on. Um, we have we have two more cars left. Okay, and um, I think I want to save. Uh, the Porsche for last. Sure. Because I think you and I very much agree on it. So the, this other car is the fifth generation Dodge Charger. Now, for those of you who don't remember this car, and I, I don't blame you, uh, this was the front wheel drive one. It was built between, uh, it was the early 80s to the mid 80s, 82 to 87, I believe, and had a Shelby version, but it was front wheel drive, and it was like an extended length. So which, which generation is it? Fifth. Okay, so first went from 96 to 97, second went from, this is weird, first generation 90, 1966 to 1967. Yeah. Sorry, second went from 68 to 70, third went from 71 to 74. Third was ugly as hell too, but. Fourth went from 75 to 78, and you're saying the fifth generation from 82 to 87. Oh my God, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, They're I remember all that squared car. off and. Yeah, 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 I actually drove that car. You know where we, we drove it? Before it broke. Yes. It, we were oh, at the Dodge house. That's right. It was the so Dodge we Brothers went, house. So we went on the 100th anniversary of Dodge over to their actual house, house. where they had all these museum pieces. Yeah, and this ran. thing took a dump. Yeah, and that was the one out of all the cars. There were two cars that broke Because it down. was a Shelby. Yeah, it was the Shelby. Shelby. Yeah. I believe that was one of the ones where it was, someone jumped into it and it just died. Um, and they never put out more than like 145 horsepower, 150 horsepower at the most. Um, and at the time, they just really didn't fit the image of what a 
Charger was. Now, there were some other interesting cars at the time that it competed against. And also, this thing did turn into the Plymouth Laser later on, or maybe been around that time. And the Plymouth Laser, I thought, looked a little bit cooler, a little bit more 80s. But yeah, it was. It really wasn't much of a replacement for the Challenger. Um, so, or for the Charger, I mean. So yeah, it was. It was yeah, blah. Not not so great. Um, but you know, when we were kids, dude, uh, it was like that, and the GLH. Remember the GLH? Which yeah, was like hell. Yeah. I actually thought that was kind of a cool car by comparison. But but all those cars, because we were living like past. You know, we were we, at least me. I, I'm older than you are. I went to high school, you know, in the '80s, right? And uh, we were living. Uh, with the uh, catastrophic remnants of cars from the 70s. Right. And so we, we loved like all the 60s cars, right? Because they, they had gotten affordable. So all those muscle cars were actually pretty gettable in the 80s. Right. And you're talking early 80s. I was at the, the end of the 80s. But the new cars that were coming out were horrendous. Yeah. Some of them were horrible. Yeah. Well, until, I, until the Fox Betty Mustang. That was like the first like American car where you were like, oh, wow, that's pretty badass. Yeah, there's an awful lot of people who would agree with you on that. It, the 80s were a very unusual time for uh, kids in high school looking up to cars because, in, yeah, in the early 80s, a lot of people were looking back in, at the 60s. My sister had a 67 or 68. It was, I think it was a 68 uh, Camaro that my dad got her because he hated us. So he got it for her because his other kids didn't matter. Um, but <laughs> sorry, but it was it was really cool. It was like this pumpkin orange. Is your sister listening to this? No, she doesn't listen to anything I do. Um, so it was it was a really cool car, and um, when I finally had a chance to drive, I did buy a '65 Mustang, but I had it with a six-cylinder engine. My sister had a big V8 in hers, so whole different world. Okay, um, so let's go on to our number one because I think our number one is something that you and I very much agree on and very much disagree with Jalopnik's choice, well, yeah, Jalopnik's they, viewers' yeah, choice. They, they picked the 911 964. That's right. Which, the, which came around in 89 and was around until 93. Not, yeah, so it was essentially an early 90s car. The and last all, of the air-cooled. Yeah, it was the last of the air-cooled and only lasted four years in the market. Very, very short run time on it. Um, I, I thought this car was incredible. I thought it was, I loved looking at it. It was the last air-cooled, you know, Porsche in, in that era, and I was just like, for me, it was just so cool and different. Um, so we own a we own a ninety we had an eighty seven uh, nine eleven, and that's a Carrera three point two because it had a three point two liter mm -hmm. engine, uh, and ours is the G, which stands for the G fifty, which is the uh, transmission. Because in eighty seven right. they went to a G fifty transmission, uh, and then so that was the last generation before the nine six four, where they actually started numbering them. So that's right. where the numbering came from. But I think most Porsche files would agree that the next generation after the the 996 was the one that because that's the first uh, water cooled one, and that's when Porsche went distinctly kind of down market in their interiors. Uh, the, it had those fried egg headlights that people, I couldn't stand the exterior by, by that people comparison. hated. Yeah, and we actually had one of those too. We had a C2. That was the first Porsche I think TFL bought. Yeah, 996 C2, and the problem with that one was. It had like 100,000 miles, and all the switches were already like worn off the or throw broken. throw-off bearing, I think, was an issue, which is... Yeah, that one had, yeah, that one had the IMS. That was it, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they would... Uh, the IMS bearing would uh, break, and then it would basically detonate the entire engine. It, it would so bad that the block would crack. I, we saw one when we were replacing our IMS. They showed us what happened when that went away, and it would crack the entire block. We got lucky. Ours actually had to replace one. Yeah, well, yeah, we did have to replace that component. We've we've had. We replaced a replaced one. 
Yeah, we replaced the one that was replaced. <laughs> yeah, second, second. And I think TFL's had about half a dozen Porsches since, roughly. I know we had two Boxers. Yeah, right now we the have a 944 Turbo. And the 944. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, probably my favorite of all the Porsches we've had is the 944 we currently have. But Roman and I both agree that the 964, I think, was a work of art. I don't care what the other guys say. It was an incredible car to drive. I did drive one. Uh, a relative of mine had one and allowed me to have a little bit of fun. The 996 is just kind of visually a little bit of a train wreck for some people. Yeah, so it also became kind of like uh, the Everyman 911, right? So they built a lot of them. And yeah. now, now they, they still, even now, they still sell for like, uh, you know, you could you could probably get yourself into a high mileage one for around 20K. The turbos are worth more, but the regular Carrera 2 996s are, are they're just not going up in price. People still don't like them. Yeah. And, um, I mean, they are Porsches. They are 911s. They drive it like 911s, but they've got issues. I agree. Um, so, yeah. Okay. So that essentially is our list. There is a bonus, Roman, I wanted to give yeah, it to you. Yeah, what's your bonus? Um, this is, once again, according to Jalopnik, and I don't agree with him, uh, but it's not a horrible choice. They say the current Subaru WRX uh, they do not like its styling so what's, at all. So what's the year that they built it that, that had the underpowered engine? There was like one year. So was that the, like 2014? What There was one year where it was so bad that they had to immediately replace it. I think that was all the way back in 2009, 2010. Was it back that far? That's what, Well, that, that was when they didn't do the fender flares, and they had – it just basically was an Impreza-based vehicle with a WRX engine in it, and there was one year that's like a horrible one. That. They got rid of it very quickly. Well, that's what I'm saying, 2009, 2010. They got rid of it real quickly, and they came out with the flared fenders and a much better overall WRX because it had a wider stance and it handled better and it was just a better vehicle altogether. So, and also it was the, uh, the Impreza-based WRX as opposed to ones that were on the new modular platform, which came later. So anyway, the ones that, the one that they say is the essentially the 2022, uh, 2021. I, if I remember right, th that one year had like a single tailpipe. That was the one that was. I believe it was 2009, 2010. That's it could be one. right. I don't know. Yeah. Um, There's also a wagon. Do you know that? There's also a wagon. Do you yeah. remember that? Yeah, actually I do. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was sedan and wagon. And then there's well, a Saab version of it. <laughs> Yeah, the oh nine two. My, yeah, the Saab nine two. Actually, that really should be the caveat on this. So, if you look up the Saab nine two, you'll essentially find the same vehicle, except for a nicer interior. That was the one thing about the nine two is that it had a much nicer looking interior, uh, but otherwise it was basically a WRX and not one of their better ones. No. Um, and you know, guys, if you have a contrary position, by all means, please list it below. Um, I actually feel like um, uh, if, if you're going to go Subaru in terms of the vehicles that just perhaps don't steer your milk or whatever, uh, I would say that the Tribeca was was a huge mistake in terms of design, but that's just me. And they, they don't build it anymore, so I guess that doesn't yeah, that really matter. Yeah, that, that was their attempt at a family hauler, and it didn't it, work. Yeah, the, new, the newer one is a much better vehicle in every measurable way. It's just boring, but whatever. Um, anyway, so we want to hear what your perspective is on what you would choose in terms of the most popular cars that – had a really bad version. Uh, and I know there are other ones out there. We only covered a small amount of them. So by all means, let us know below. Yeah, and then uh, we promised them one last thing before we wrap this up, Nathan. Oh, yeah. And that is uh, best new car for winter now that winter's coming. And I've been thinking a lot about that. 
Uh, and so let's let's separate it into uh, two different worlds: internal combustion and electric. Because really, we've got now two different we, we worlds are of cars. Where we have two, and we're going to try to stick with cars and not trucks. So right? uh, yeah, so let's yeah let's yeah, let's try it with with cars. Uh, I, I thought let's start with the electric, right? All right. Uh, I don't think there are any great choices for winter electric cars because what happens with battery range is it goes down by like 25 percent in well, the winter it depends on the vehicle but it can go up to 25 percent as a pretty good measure um so, i would disagree i think your son has recently looked at a vehicle that's what somewhat affordable the and i've driven him uh, in the snow before a little bit and that is the uh, volkswagen id4 it's got some decent ground clearance the all-wheel drive system works quite well i do not like the infotainment system or any i really have the, any of the interior ip setup but it drove fine in the snow. Yeah, but it's not like you. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't call it a snow uh, car. If, if I if I had to go into a blizzard, it would not be the keys I would grab. That's that's what I'm thinking about. Like Colorado winter car. I'm not talking about Illinois where it might snow once or twice a year. Or I'm talking about like I'm going to go skiing and I want a winter car that's going to get me to the you know to the to the lodge in a snowstorm. And that would not be the keys. I mean, the one I would grab and it's a truck, unfortunately, is either the H2 or the Rivian. Right. Really, you wouldn't do the Ford Lightning? Uh, you said no, because the tires on that thing are not that great. The the ones that come, at least the one that, that were on ours, were more designed for low rolling resistance than they were for. Remember, we had to swap yeah. out to ATs to oh, actually I know, get any traction. Yeah, and so so the Rivian comes with KO2s, I think, uh, and the Hummer comes with uh, Goodyear comes destinations. With the, no, the Goodyear, the Hummer came with, yeah, Goodyear, Goodyear destinations. Yeah, 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 which we've they're the same tires. Uh, that were on the uh, TRX, and the TRX was unstoppable. Oh, and anything. <laughs> no, sorry, same tires that are on the Bronco. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the TRX came with the uh, Goodyear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, unstoppable. So th- maybe you can go for the R1S, you know, the... the haven't driven it, so I wouldn't I know. Yeah, Andre only drove I'm it. I'm only basing what I, on what I really know as opposed to the, what I'm the, guessing. The, the problem with that car is it's too expensive. I mean, any car that costs, like, I don't even consider a car that costs, any of those cars and trucks cost 90000 mm-hmm. So that's not something that most people have access to. So you're not going to have a chance to grab the keys to your Hummer or your Rivian because they're unobtainium or your Lightning. Uh, so the cars that are attainable that are electric, Bolt, front-wheel drive, might be okay in the snow. Tommy, yeah, we, I mean, we, anything with front wheel drive is with is no debatable. tires. Tommy has uh, the, uh, the the he bought it from the company. He's got the Mini SE, which is the electric Mini, and we put uh, those cross climates on there. Thank you uh, to Michelin, right? Cross climate Michelin. I, I honestly don't know who, who what yeah, the yeah. tires are you talking about, but anyway, cross climates uh, might be Firestone, right? Who? who I can't Michelin, help you there. Sorry. Who, who, what does Michelin own? They own. Uh, well, the BF- Michelin owns BFGs. Yeah, yeah. So BFG. they might be. They might be. They might be. Anyway, I apologize. Oh, I'll Google it here. You talk. I'll Google okay. It. So while he's doing that, I, I don't. I, I, we, they gave the him to, I want to get that, that right. Um, you know, when you're talking about affordable electric vehicles, first of all, there aren't a lot of them, and then secondly, going to affordable all-wheel drive. They're Michelin. I got it right. Okay, Michelin. Yeah. So those are great. They're all year. They're mm-hmm. they're they're all year winter rated, snow rated tires. But the Mini has 114 miles of EPA range, and in the winter it's more like 90 miles of real yeah. world range. And so even if you've got good traction, you're still not going to want. Yeah, I've got um, I've so got Coopers on my on my um, my daughter's um, little so Leaf, Leaf and, and front wheel drive. Front wheel drive. It's it's just a front wheel drive car in snow. So and. Ionic affordable EV6, right, right, an affordable all wheel drive. drive vehicle. There aren't a lot of them. Electric, that's electric. Um, there aren't a lot of them out there. Now, maybe uh, you're right. Maybe it is the ID. 
the well, I just think that under the circumstances, and as I said, I've driven it, it did just fine. Actually, it's pretty good on loose soil. Um, going anything, doing hardcore off-roading, forget it, but we, we're we just need, talking about we need, we need that Scout, the Volkswagen building. Yeah, which I'd love to tell you guys about, but we're not going to. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, uh, there's, there's no information, there's no information available about. on it. So if you don't know, Volkswagen is bringing back the Harvester Scout model as a dedicated uh, EV and off-roady vehicle. So mm-hmm. that yeah. seems like a good one for the snow. It's not around yet. Uh, the ID Buzz, I think it's it's based on the ID... Uh, ID 4, four pl- platform, it's the same so it's going to be e- an ID... QB platform, I think it is. So or something. It, it, all-wheel drive, once again, and all-wheel drive well, with no tires. Well, if, if we're going to go that direction, then we might as well look at what Mercedes and BMW have and Audi as well. I mean, they all have all-wheel drive vehicles, but they're all very expensive. Yeah, vehicles. any of them are... And same thing, like, okay, here's a good one. Okay, mm-hmm. here's one that I think you could use... It's got one problem. That's the GLE. Mercedes-Benz GLE. It's a little small crossover. So uh, it's, it's, it's GLE is gas. Is it a GLB M? is gas. The GLE is electric. GLE. Okay, got it. Yeah, okay. yeah. So the GLB is this like, it's actually a three-row, small, tall crossover. Oh, you did a video yeah, on it. Yeah, and they, they took and they stuck a, an electric power plant into it. Unfortunately, it's only got like 200-some miles of range, but that's better than 114. I'll take 200 miles. I'll take 200. Right? So let's say realistically in the winter, you're maybe at like 175, 180. I think it's more like 220 when it's, you know, when it's Most warm. Americans have less than a 50-mile commute. So you're fine. So that that one might be doable because it's in the 50s mm-hmm. versus like so that that's one potential. And that starts yeah, fifty three thousand dollars or something like that. Is the yeah, story. Audi just just introduced the Q4 e-tron, right? Uh, yeah. The problem with that one is it's once again <laughs> an ID4 <laughs> chassis. Essentially, yeah, a lot of it is the same platform. And, it, and it's funny for Audi because it can be had. The, the, the intro one is uh, two wheel drive, rear wheel drive. Yeah, so so let's go on to uh, vehicles that everybody can buy right now. Yeah, because there's nothing electric, really. Not really, not really, but there's Lyric, a lot of the, gas, the, ones, and there's a hybrid out there. The Lyric, you can't buy it. There's a plug-in hybrid that's out there that Tommy recently drove that Sold I out. felt was actually pretty damn impressive. All right, what's that? It's the Mitsubishi Outlander. Oh, yeah, PHEV. Yeah. Tommy yeah. drove one, and I watched yeah. I had to. What uh, happens, I write up some of these things, yeah. and so I had to watch the video very carefully to listen to Tommy. And good, good, good call. Really good setup. And they have managed over the years, despite the CVTs, which I do not like, and this is different than a regular CVT, by the way. It's a whole different story here. But the point is, is that it has a really good all-wheel drive system, one that actually can give you rear drive bias if you want it. And on top of that, it can hold seven passengers standard and has a much nicer interior than anything that's come before it. Essentially, think of it as a Nissan Rogue, with a third row and with a really interesting plug-in hybrid system. So I got to throw a couple more. Uh, yeah. Base Bronco, Base Wrangler. Oh, I'd say the Bronco Sport is an Bronco Sport. That's a great little driver. Uh, all unstoppable in the snow. In the snow. Yeah. 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 And you won't, you won't lose any range. But then it, you can, almost anything that Jeep builds, most of them are pretty damn good in the snow. Oh, yeah. You know, I agree. I, one of the things you need to look for in an all-wheel drive vehicle that you're going to be taking in the snow nowadays, they all have a different mode. If it has a snow mode, you're already off to a good start because it'll often start you in second gear, which really does help, and it'll change the uh, inputs going into look, ABS. Look, let's be honest. Really, the most important part are the tires, right? Oh, absolutely. So, so you know, a huge caveat in the discussion is any car with snow tires is, is way better, better than, than one without. That's Than sure. one without. Or, yeah. or, you know, I would even go as far as to say, a, a front-wheel drive or a rear-wheel drive car with snow tires is better than an all-wheel drive car with all seasons. Much better. Uh, it's, it depends on a lot it's a, of things. It's about stopping. It is about stopping, and it is about going, and, and also about, about cornering. 
But um, and snow tires are even. I know that some of them are rated with snowflakes. That doesn't mean it's a snow tire. An actual dedicated snow tire, snow and ice tire, is far better than not having one. That's for damn sure. And we've we've had an opportunity to drive in the snow. Now, if you do have a vehicle that has all-wheel drive and you want just one set of tires, all-season tires with the snowflake is a little bit more aggressive in the snow than one without the snowflake. So, so I would I, recommend looking I that way. I just put snow tires on my wife's car, mm-hmm. BMW X5 that we've had for a couple of years. And I've been doing that, swapping them twice a year. Uh, and, it, you know, we go to discount. And it's about as painless as you can be, right? But I still have to – these are very big, heavy, heavy tires. And you've got to lift them and put them in the car, yeah, right? Yeah, i got to drag them down in the basement, four of them, right, then drag the other ones back in the basement. And they put them in plastic, but still you get dirty. Yeah. And you got to – you know, my, my wife has all this stuff in the back oh, – sorry, honey – in the back of her car. So i got to, you know, clean out the car, put the tires in, take it to discount, mm-hmm. have somebody pick me up. You know, have somebody take me back, right? They'll do it while you wait, but then you wait for an hour, which is, you know, a right. good amount of time. And so so I, I kind of like these new um, cross-climate tires, the, the all-season uh, tires that are snow-rated. I think that's a really good solution. They, they're a, it's a very good solution, but there are very few manufacturers that actually build a vehicle with that because they have to have a return on their investment. And by putting these more expensive tires on there, it makes the car more expensive for you. So I do recommend looking at those if you do live you in know, a snowy they, climate. Those came out of Canada because Canada, uh, the French part of it, passed legislation like they have in Europe saying that you have to have snow tires or snow-rated tires in the winter. And so uh, before the manufacturers were very hesitant in America to sell like snow-rated all seasons or the technology wasn't there because snow tires in the summer will basically melt off them. They'll just melt, mm-hmm. right? The compound it's, it's, comes, comes into its own at 44 degrees. Right. It's built to be very uh, adhesive in cold weather as opposed to regular tires that turn into hockey pucks very hard. Yeah. Yeah. So what else? So we got, we got I, I like the Bronco Sport. I like the Bronco. I like the Wrangler. What else? There's a ton I say of, a majority of the vehicles Jeep builds. I think, I think the, a Forerunner. Forerunners are great, but they're really heavy. Just, they're, they're like a Wrangler in the snow. They okay. remind me of each other. Um Having something that would be like a... I like ground clearance, right? Because if that's there's the deep other snow, thing. you want ground clearance. So if you can have around eight inches or more of ground clearance, almost everything Subaru builds is over eight inches of Not ground clearance. Not that we would know because they don't lend us cars. No, they really don't. So and I, I assume it's good. But we have driven some of the, you know, the Crosstrek. We have a lot of experience with the older Crosstrek and some of those other ones. Uh, but and, the CVT, yeah. But, the, uh, but I will say that yeah. I've driven them in the snow. And even though they're slow... They move, and they do wonderful in the snow, and they're very safe. Okay, but moving on, there's a lot of other vehicles that are out there that are actually pretty interesting. You know one that actually gets very little fanfare, but I think is fantastic in the snow? The Mini Countryman. Fantastic in the snow, even the plug-in hybrid version. My mom version. has one of those, yeah. It's great in the snow, but it has to have the right snow tires. My wife's Countryman, which is the older one, has Pirellis on there, and they're all season, but they're really yeah, not. that's not great. But, yeah. but, but that all-wheel drive system makes it move, and it's very light. But so, you know, obviously tires are really the way to go, but there are quite a few. God, almost everybody builds an all-wheel drive vehicle that's excellent in the snow, if you think about it. BMW, a uh, majority of their small crossovers are quite good in the snow. We've, we've tested almost all of them, right? Mercedes-Benz, same way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, am I wrong? Well, no, at some point, you know, it, once again, it becomes about tires because the technology to make the car um, 
go, not necessarily to stop, but to go, uh, is pretty much there, right? Mm-hmm. So, so you know, the, the, the stability control keeps you pointing the way you've got the steering wheel pointing. The ABS hopefully keeps you from sliding. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the tires have any grip. And even, you know, with the latest and greatest electronics, if the tires are bad, you're still going to be like a goat on an ice rink. Right. So it's the first thing that's really important to ascertain is whether or not you have good tires. Now, there are some cars out there that have crap tires on them right out of the uh, you know manufacturing hold, and that's the worst. So take a look at your tires. If you don't recognize the brand, which you might not, look them up online, look at their ratings, go to a couple sites because sometimes they're biased. But at the end of the day, the first thing you need to do if you are in snow country or are going to be moving to snow country, change your tires. You know who does uh, snow modes as well? I think uh, Hyundai and Kia do snow modes in all their cars. They're really good snow modes. Yeah, if I, if I recall And right. there's a locker. Well, it's kind of a locker where you can get 50-50 split front and rear at low speeds, which can help you in sticky situations in snow. Yeah. I've, I've used it. It works. Yeah. So, um, you know, whether lockers make a car better or worse in snow is is depending on the situation, right? Because mm-hmm. if, you know, if you lock up, like let's say you have a Jeep Wrangler and you've got lockers in the front and the back. If you lock up all four uh, in the snow, uh, it gives you more traction, but it does also create this kind of crabbing when you go around a corner because they're both spinning at the exact same. So you'll right. have more it, traction, but you'll have this kind of crabbing, which is actually okay in the snow because you won't tear up your drivetrain, but I'm not sure it makes the vehicle perform better. No, I would agree it doesn't. Actually, you, you, you want a limited slip it would be the best option in going around a corner. But that's a whole different thing. So, And there's other vehicles that do that. So anything about, with a locker would what, what does Nissan have that would be good? A Pathfinder, I think, the newest The Rogue one. is actually quite good all around. Yeah, we took, remember we took the old one up. up uh, oh, that was, that was the first-gen Rogue. <laughs> Man, that was years ago. So yeah. uh, Roman and I went to uh, Moab, Moab Easter Jeep Safari, and we, which was great. And we took this little first-generation Nissan Rogue and... That poor thing, it had a CVT, barely enough horsepower to get out of its own way. We actually took it off-road a little bit, too. And we took it back home in the middle of a snowstorm. And it was a hell of a snowstorm. And we three things that were a problem, but one thing that was good. It actually tracked just fine. We were on crappy tires, and we went straight up a hill. We saw a cop trying to go up the hill sideways in front of us. Headlights were terrible. We're terrible on that thing. I couldn't see through anything. <laughs> and at the end of the day, it really wasn't the most comfortable vehicle. So it lacked power, lacked comfort, had horrible you, headlights you, you and bad know, tires. You know what else is good in the snow? The car that's sitting, well, they just picked it up, but we had it, uh, the uh, Pacifica all-wheel drive. The Pacifica, the I actually drive. drove that on a sheet of ice with my family in there. Yeah, it's good in and, the snow. And, and it was just regular all-season tires. I did tires drive in that thing. It's it was really great. Good. The, it, the biggest downside of that is you can't get the plug-in hybrid in an all-wheel drive. It's either plug-in hybrid or all-wheel drive. Or, for, or standard front-wheel drive. Right, in the plug-in too. hybrid, yeah. yeah. Which is a shame. I don't know why they don't just... Well, I think that there's a manufacturing issues, too, because they got to put a battery in it oh, and so a drive shaft. Oh, drive shaft, yeah. Yeah, remember, they don't use the Toyota technology of powering the rear wheels with an electric motor. They just use this drive shaft going back to a mechanical mm. rear end. But yeah. it was really good in the snow, and I think the way the weight is divided on that vehicle makes it very, very flat in the snow you know what i mean it doesn't feel very rocky or anything yeah i I took it through some crazy colorado snow and it did great and we've blown through our hour nathan but oh well through our hour one last car i want to talk about that was here which i was just so impressed with and i think would be an excellent snow car Mm. especially if you got the one with all the off-road tech because look let's face it if we take it into our ranch and it does well in the ranch and by the way a lot of you've been asking for the slip test 
mm-hmm. uh, the Tommy does. It's coming back. We just we just finally were able to track down some more rollers. They arrived. They're sitting in a box. Uh, so more slip tests coming to, to show how the all-wheel drive system works. But the one that we took to the ranch that did really well, even though it didn't have all the off-road goodies, was a Lexus GX. They're still building the GX? Yeah. I'll be damned. Yeah, I, I drove it out there, and I was like, I just forgot how good this car is. It well, it, it's the last of the really yeah. capable off-road. Go get Lexus. yourself one before, yeah, <laughs> before they go away, yeah. because the the LX, the big brother of it, hmm. is is like I, it's got the big I, wheels. I like and the LX, but it's become too luxurious. It's right? just a big, heavy. It's a big, luxury he- yeah. Barge, right? They got rid. Of, unfortunately, in America, they got rid of Land Cruiser, so the LX now takes its place. But I would say go get it if you want the luxury. Heck yeah, LX is fine and it's good off-road. But get yourself a GX. Yeah, the GX. I've been seeing a lot more people taking the older ones and like tearing parts off them and making them serious off-roaders, and it makes a lot of sense to me because yeah. you have the comfortable interior, and then you have the rugged exterior. You can do anything you want with it. And you've got you know Toyota's reputation for reliability, which is what you want when you're oh, driving V8. around the world. Yeah, well, those V8s are known <laughs> as being bulletproof. So I would agree with you. That's, Thirsty. That's a, yeah, well, yeah, that's the other problem. We're not talking about economical here. Most. Four-wheel drive and all-wheel drive vehicles are not very uh, economical. That's well, the bottom line. Well, guys, there you have it. Thank you for spending this time with us. That's uh, a long broadcast, my friend. Yeah, well, you know, we, we had a lot of discussions. And uh, once again, uh, check out alltfl.com if you want to see some of these videos we're talking about. Uh, and Nathan, thank you for taking the time today. And no uh, we'll see you guys next time. Ciao. Cheers. Oh, by the way, somebody wrote, and they made fun of me for saying ciao. That's like my sign off. You know, you know why I say that? Why? Because I'm Czech. And it, it, I was born in the Czech Republic, as many of you probably know. And in the Czech Republic, ciao is just like, it's a hello and goodbye. It's just like, if, you yeah. have, if you're with friends, you'd be like, ciao. Or but if you're, the Italians use that as well, right? Yeah, yeah. But it, the Czechs also use it for some, I don't know why. But so yeah. when you walk into a group of friends, you're like, ciao. Or you leave, you're like, ciao. It's just, it, that's, that's where it comes from. It's, I'm not being pretentious. I'm not trying to be Italian. I'm just being what I am, which is Czech and Chow. Okay. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> All right. Tschüss. <laughs>